0: All right, this is josh buck with the belcom business podcast uh, thank you once again for taking a few minutes to listen in today on today's podcast once again we're going to have a, uh, a tremendous guest that's going to join us his name is tom lawney and uh, i met tom uh, I, I guess probably two or three months ago uh, we were at a, at a i guess a mastermind group that we're both in of uh, real high level uh, ceos and entrepreneurs and i actually heard him uh, present we did a brief introduction there and then we had uh, we we're actually uh, together this week in vegas Uh, And we talked a little bit uh, in what his company specializes in is really uh, getting into legacy wealth. Uh, So just kind of a brief introduction, Tom, uh, Lonnie with Bulletproof wealth. Thomas described as the leader in guiding real estate investors to become their own banker. He does this mm-hmm. by solving the problem of low returns and increased taxes when storing money in a uh, in a traditional bank by creating a line of credit using specialized, designed life insurance. Now, his particular legacy uh, program goes beyond this, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in the podcast. And uh, Tom, as we as we both know, there there's a lot of a, kind of a misunderstanding around some of these terms. We hear yes. the terms infinite banking. We hear yes. uh, overfunded life insurance, and and uh, and even before this podcast, uh, we were chatting. You mentioned these are kind of marketing terms, and every time that I've heard it presented in different rooms, it's really kind of had this marketing feel to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Really, didn't fully understand what it was, uh, what does it mean? What does it mean to overfund my life insurance? What is what is infinite banking? You know, what does this actually mean? Uh, can you so kind of starting off here? Um, what what exactly is infinite banking?
1: uh thanks josh i really appreciate it i'm really excited to be on your show today and i'm looking forward to hopefully clarify um as best as possible some of these terms that terms that we hear thrown around so the bottom line is is that there are rules that the irs has set forth about how much money can go into life insurance and have it not considered an investment okay so back prior to 1986 you could drop $700,000, for example, into a life insurance policy all at once, just boom, it would be dropped in and then no, no taxes would ever be paid on the growth inside of that policy again. Well, they started realizing that that's way too much like an investment to have these big tax breaks. So they put the kibosh on that with this modified endowment rule that they came up with that said, If your payments are not structured to meet what's called a qualifying seven pay test, in other words, you would have to to get $700,000 into a life insurance policy, you'd have to dole it in at $100,000 a year for seven years, if you don't dole it in over time it's not really considered life insurance. So just to try to make this simple, term insurance is where you put in the least amount of money for the most amount of life insurance as possible um, because all you're doing is buying a straight death benefit on term insurance and it's for a limited uh, amount of years. And by the way, that is the biggest cash cow of the insurance industry. That's where they make most of their profits because 99.5% of term policies expire or get dropped before they end up having to pay out. So it's one of the little known secrets of the insurance world that term policies are a massive profit center. Um, So what whole life insurance is, is where you have a permanent um, death benefit for your entire life, right? And um, that is obviously going to require a, a larger premium going in because you're amortizing it out for a lot more years and the insurance is definitely gonna pay off. And what Infinite Banking discovered is that this concept basically means that if you can crank that up to put as much money as possible in to still meet the 7702 guidelines, and um, that's just the section of the tax code that this has to do with, and it's also in Section 101, but if you can crank as much money in as possible for the least amount of death benefit and have it still qualify as life insurance, that's essentially... Um, the concept of infinite banking is we're putting money in there for its other benefits besides the death benefit. The death benefit obviously is very important, but there's a lot of great reasons to put money into life insurance. Does that make sense?
0: It does. And if we move through this, we'll kind of, I know you'll give us some ideas as far as why would somebody uh, utilize this strategy? Sure. So it's kind of the next question. Uh, who uh, should be using this strategy and why would someone want to use this strategy?
1: right so i teach people every day how banks make money and why if you're thinking about it you should try to make money like a bank does so let me just break this down super simply because once you understand how banks make money it makes sense as to why you would want to be in that position so banks make money by taking other people's money in on deposit and then paying them a small amount of money for the use of that money and then turning around and using it for uh lending and they make a higher rate of return than they're paying the people to deposit the money so that whole concept is called arbitrage right you're you're taking an asset you're paying just a little bit for it and you're turning around and 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 making more on it so the way I make this super simple is that if you deposited a hundred thousand dollars into a bank account and they paid a quarter of a percent to that policy I mean to that depositor that would be two hundred and fifty bucks that they would pay over twelve months for a one hundred thousand dollar deposit. If that bank turned that hundred thousand dollars and lent it out at five and a quarter percent, that would be five thousand two hundred and fifty dollars coming back to them. So their cost of capital is two hundred and fifty to make five thousand two hundred and fifty. So that concept. When I say, "Hey, what 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 would it be? Bank uh, rate of return? Would a bank be making if they were to pay to uh, pay a quarter of a percent and make five and a quarter?" Ninety nine percent of every person I've ever talked to, Josh says they would be making five percent but that's could not be further from the truth, right? So why do you wanna put money in a life insurance policy? It's because you are buying an asset that has a lot of unbelievable properties to it. It's one of the only places that you can put money where it's guaranteed to grow, it's stable, and it increases every year, and you can collateralize it at 95 or 100% of the loan to value of whatever your cash value is. So it has this incredible collateral capacity, I guess you you would call it, that's one, one way to put it, where most things do not, and not all life insurance has this collateral capacity either, like for example, index universal life does not, variable universal life does not, only whole life has the ability to collateralize it at such a high loan to value. And that's really why people do it. They put their money there because you gotta put your money somewhere and, this money on a risk-adjusted basis grows, compounds uninterrupted for the rest of your life, yet still gives you access to borrow against it through collateralized loans, just like a home equity line of credit.
0: Okay. Yeah. When you, when you mentioned and you talked about as far as the, the concept of the bank only making 5% in my head, and I think a lot of our clients that are real estate investors will, will understand this. That the that hundred thousand dollars that's going into the bank is not the bank's asset; it's a liability to the bank, right? And
1: yes. So you're so making <laughs>
0: totally. so the, so the reason that the essentially it's an infinite return on their end uh, is because there is no asset they're making they're making all that money off of a liability. Um, so uh, you got to give yes. kudos to uh, whoever thought up with that concept. That's that's brilliant. Um, Well, listen,
1: man, Josh, there's a reason, man, why the banks have the tallest building and the biggest fountains, and there's 20 people in there doing nothing most times when you walk in, those guys don't even understand how they make money. If you go poll an average banker who's working at a bank, they've got no clue how this works. It's just, it's astounding the amount of money that they take in by being able to make money on liabilities. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. So that is why I teach people how that concept works and it's just absolutely amazing when the light bulb goes off for folks usually they're just like okay i get it how much can i get in there is their next question right (laughs) that's the next question
0: and so how does the um uh essentially is the does the pricing work So what are the, and I understand depending on the, on the levels, but I'm, I'm assuming normally when you go and get term, you know, they're like, they're taking blood from you or some sort of health and it's based on age. So what, uh, what components are involved when it comes to the, to the pricing of this?
1: So first of all, you have to qualify to own life insurance. And that qualification is only based on two factors. It's based on your income which the income is, again, a difficult thing. I say that word and most people go, well, what does that mean? The answer is it's your gross income minus your business expenses. So it's not your bottom line AGI. It's your gross income minus business expenses. So a lot of my real estate investor clients try to write off everything under the sun, you have accelerated depreciation cost seg studies, you name it. And they try to get their income down to zero. Well, obviously they're not making zero, right? So what we look at is, what are their true business expenses? So if they're making uh, you know one point five million dollars, but spending a million dollars on their marketing and 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 their um, employees and stuff, then their actual income is the five hundred. Um, so that is the one thing that qualifies you as income. And then the second thing. Is your age. So, your age is a big factor because the older you are, the less life insurance you can qualify for. So, when you're, for example, um, under 40, you can qualify for 30 times your income. And then from 41, they have age brackets that go all the way up to 70 that determine, you know, eventually it whittles its way down to 10 times your income is the last bracket. Um, so the older you get, the less life, less life insurance you can purchase. And then the price of it is usually determined by the, your health. So the, the poorer health you're in, the higher the cost of insurance is. And the less, to be frank with you, that this strategy really works. Because if it's a high cost of insurance, there's not going to be a big um, ability to accumulate cash inside of these policies. So this strategy really works for mid to high level income earners who are in reasonable health and the younger, the better. But obviously uh, most of my clients are in the, you know, mid forties to mid fifties, late fifties, that range. Okay. So
0: another good reason for us to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves physically as well.
1: <laughs> exactly. So, I don't think we can totally. no,
0: definitely, uh, we always perform better as business owners uh, and as individuals, if we're in better health, taking care of ourselves. And, and then also it allows for us to qualify, to be able to use a strategy in a more effective manner. So yes, we have a, a lot of our clients, uh, they, you know, they, they have IRAs, they have 401ks, you know, et cetera, and many of them self-direct it. So they go through and they're, you know, they take that money and they're trying to find ways to deploy it. And of course, there's a lot of limitations on what they, uh, what they can do. One of the big limitations is without some serious maneuvering or uh, serious tax implications is they aren't able to take that money and use it in their own business. Uh, so usually they're trying to find some place to lend or they're trying to you know, purchase real estate or something with it. Right. Um, So how does this strategy uh, differ from uh, from the rules that are there? Uh, So can a business owner take this money and and essentially uh, use it to invest in their own business, grow their own business?
1: So absolutely, that's one of the biggest uses for this. Josh, this is non-qualified money. So there's not any real partnership with the government that you're doing here with this money because it works. It's not this. okay? so don't hear me say that it is this, but it works similarly to Roth IRAs in that you pay put in after tax dollars and then it has a lot of tax advantages on the growth. Um, of the money, but it, it is not a qualified plan. So you can literally use the money for whatever you want to use it for. So business owners can definitely take a low interest rate loan from their policy, not, not from it, but against their policy's cash value, use it in their business, make that spread and be making money like a bank does right they can make that that arbitrage happen for them in their business and then they can only the tricky part that, that people get confused on is that if you took a $100,000 loan and turned it into $150,000 over one year, you can only pay back the principal and interest. You can't pay back all one fifty dollars into the policy. So you have to save it until the next anniversary rolls around before you can put in new money. So you have a line of credit that's established, and then you can take loans, pay back the loans, plus any accrued interest. And then um, after that, you have to wait and put that money in a holding place until the following anniversary of your policy, if that makes sense.
0: Okay. So when uh, somebody goes uh, through this, they'll want to make sure that they they fully understand uh, those particular rules. But uh, the kind yeah. of the cool part is they can take that money, they can use it uh, in their business. What other areas have you seen or are um, uh, are permitted ways to use that money? So, for example, uh- I mean, I, I want to go buy my house instead of going and getting a traditional loan from a bank, can I I use this strategy?
1: Yeah, you can use this strategy to purchase a house with. The thing that I recommend, Josh, to all my clients is, is that the best use of this money is where you can use it to make a greater rate of return than you're paying for the use of the money so for example a personal house that you live in obviously you've got a cost of capital there but you can go get a you can go get a traditional bank loan for that where i would say this would be a good use in terms of buying a house would be for the down payment Like you could use this as your down payment and therefore you have a a, you know zero out of pocket that you're doing um, and it's just great for that but I have people do using this all the time for transactional funding for private lending for every facet of real estate investing I have clients doing mobile home park investing I have clients doing self storage I have clients doing fix and flips I have clients doing apartment investing Um, the, the BRRRR strategy, uh, which is where you buy, you renovate, you, um, you know, basically get it rented. And then once the rent established, you refinance it. And then, you know, all of that just works amazing for this strategy. And I personally have been using it for both private lending and, um, investing. And I always look for a higher rate of return coming back on my investment than, I look for what I'm having to pay out on interest. So one of the things that drives me crazy about the term infinite banking is you hear a lot of people going around saying, hey, you know, go buy your own cars with this. This is a great use of the money. No, that's a terrible use of it because you're buying a depreciating asset that's not making anything now where i think it would work with a car is if you were a rare car dealer and you could go buy a 1969 corvette turn around fix it up and then sell it for way more than you invested it you know that would be a perfect use for this so anything that you can make money with or, or mark up that's where i recommend it and businesses are excellent
0: Wonderful, thank thank you for that uh, for that tip. Because you 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 hear a lot of uh, talk on this, and uh, and so um, explaining it the way you did, I think, is extremely helpful. Uh, this kind of transition a little bit, of course, as you know, I, I own an accounting firm. Most of our clients uh, engage with us uh, for the for the tax component, and sure. one of the questions that we're asked quite frequently is, or what are the tax implications of this? So a lot of people wonder, am I able to you know uh, write off or deduct? The uh, the the actual premium payments or the amounts I'm putting in every month, and then yeah. uh, when the money gets paid back, so I, I take a loan against the policy and then the money goes back. What what happens on the tax end there as well?
1: Yes, that's a great questions, Josh. So so the the bottom line is back to the Roth analogy. It's very similar to that. You're putting in after tax dollars. And so that means that you do not get a write-off your your initial contributions to this. It just does not happen. You've got to put in money after you've paid tax on it. And um, it grows inside of the policy on a tax-advantaged basis. So very, very frequently, the plans that I have set up you have, by the time you're done funding them, which I usually allow a funding window through your full retirement age of age 67. And by the time you're done at age 67, usually you have somewhere, depending on how long you've been doing it, of at least double what you put in. So if you put in one and, one and a quarter million, for example, over your life, you have two and a half million sitting there. So there's one and a quarter million of capital gains inside the policy right so if you've your basis is one and a quarter and you have 2.5 you know you're looking at a double on on the growth inside the policy well how do you get it back out the way you get it back out is you take your basis out first and you do not get taxed on your basis so it's not taxed on a last in first out basis it's taxed on a first in first out basis so just real quick the way that I describe that to make it super simple for people is that if you bought a hundred thousand of dollars worth of Apple stock and then it doubled to two hundred thousand and then you sold that stock, um, I sold a hundred thousand of it. Well, the reality is that would all be considered capital gains, okay? Because you bought it for 100, it grew to two, and all of the the sales you take, you took your profit off the table and got 100,000 back, you're gonna be taxed at short or long-term capital gains depending on your holding period, right? The basis is what is still in there, right? (laughs) When you sell it. Now, for life insurance, it works just the opposite. And if you take out your initial 1.25 million in this case, you're taking out your basis and leaving your gains in the policy. So for a tax-free retirement income, the way I structure it, it works unbelievably well is that you take your basis out first, and that usually takes four, five, six, seven years, depending on how long you've been contributing for. And then for the balance of retirement. You take collateralized loans that get this, you never pay back. So the loan balance just builds up, builds up, builds up, builds up to this massive amount. It's frequently over, you know, five to seven, $10 million of loans towards the end of someone's life that is built up inside this policy. And then when they pass away, the death benefit. Take, wipes out the loans and their beneficiary gets the balance so again that's a tax um you know advantaged maneuver as well because the loans get paid back there's no tax consequences the beneficiary gets whatever's left over on the life insurance so for example you might have a 10 million dollar death benefit eight million dollars worth of loans when you pass away and then the eight million gets extinguished and your beneficiary would get two million does that make sense?
0: It does. That's absolutely fascinating. So uh, thank yeah. you for, for uh, kind of, I think, simplifying it without oversimplifying it, but simplifying exactly <laughs> uh, what, what it means as far as uh, just not on the tax end, but also the, the legacy piece, um, yeah. which is extremely important. You know, We hear that word legacy talked about and legacy wealth talked about quite often. And of course, I'm assuming this is probably a strategy that uh, that the wealthy do use. Uh, to make sure they do have a tax, uh, they do have a tax-free retirement as well as making sure that uh, there's, there's a piece there for their heirs as well.
1: 100%. This is a strategy that the wealthy absolutely love. That's why I know the tax advantages are never going to be wiped out completely because the people who are in control are using this strategy. The other entity that uses this strategy more than any other is banks themselves. They have a whole concept called bully, which is bank owned life insurance, and they literally are one of the largest consumers of this type of life insurance. Um, they put this type of life insurance on all of their employees and they just crank in as much as possible, build that unbelievable collateral, and then they borrow against it. I mean, it's just they do the whole thing. Um, so it, it's just it's amazing And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And, you know, the companies that I work with, my favorite one is 175 years old, and they've consistently paid a dividend for the last 125 years, which, if you don't mind, Josh, I know we didn't really talk about this, but... What is a dividend is something that might be important for your listeners to understand because that is a really misunderstood topic just in and of itself, um, and it's it can be super confusing. Um, but I can kind of make it simple if that's okay. Do you have just an extra minute sure. for me to go over what it. a dividend is? So a dividend, the way that IRS classifies it, is a return of overpaid premium, which. It's that's great that they've classified it like that. I love it. But in reality, um, you're getting back more than you ever put in. So that definition really doesn't make sense to my mind anyway. Um, so when you've put in a hundred and uh, 1.25 million and you have, uh, you know, two and a half, there's got to be, you know, <laughs> There's some profit in there, right? So it is a return of profit of the company is the way I explain it. So they take their profit because I only worked with I only work with mutually owned companies. And so they have a profit and they put it in their general account and then once a year, they return the profit of the company minus their business expenses and their mortality charges back to the policyholders so it works amazingly because this these companies have never failed to pay a dividend ever their dividend has never been zero you know in 175 years i mean there's just nothing quite as stable as this asset which is why banks love to use it as collateral
0: interesting interesting thank you uh now we see that we see that shield uh, behind you for those of you who are watching on video uh those who may be listening he has a the shield behind him, and is uh, and I'm not sure if it's a company name or if it's the uh, if it's the program, but uh, you talk about this so, bulletproof wealth.
1: Yeah, and- so bulletproof wealth is the name of my strategy, Josh, and okay. I I have recently transition to that's everything for me now it's just you know Tom Lonnie with Bulletproof Wealth it's the name of the strategy that I developed it is not just infinite banking I do infinite banking but just to give you guys a little background I'm a Chartered Financial Consultant a Chartered Life Underwriter and a Chartered Special Needs Consultant so I'm looking at the whole thing with a little bit more of a holistic approach I take a lot of variables into account when designing a, a plan for a family and i can do just a wide variety of stuff for special needs planning i do survivorship policies that don't pay until the second death and i use those to fund special needs trusts um, for uh a huge component of the bulletproof wealth strategy is protecting your ability to earn a living and not with life insurance because that of course is um, has a lot of living benefits, but that mainly is for um, protecting your legacy. So protecting your ability to earn a living, I do that with long-term disability. And that is how I got started in this, um, because I'm coming from another industry, I came from the music industry, believe it or not, and I've been doing this for the last nine years, but before that, I was a mix engineer and producer, and I started to lose hearing in one ear and was able to take advantage of this amazing long-term disability policy that I'd had in force forever and the thing ended up uh, really making it possible for me to go back to school and get all these financial designations and get off on the right foot. So that is one thing that's critically important to me is make sure your income replacement is covered. Uh, also use traditional, Term insurance very frequently because I have a special kind of it called a convertible term, which allows me to capture your maximum insurable interest and convert it to whole life in tranches as you're ready to save more money with the banking concept. So I usually have three things that I'm putting in place for most of my clients, and I combine all of that into the bulletproof wealth strategy.
0: So, uh, we're, so you're basically what you're telling us you're not kind of like a, a one-trick pony type uh, person where you just have this one thing you're trying to you're trying to sell you really are so, trying to come alongside your your clients and making sure that they're taken care of uh, their their wealth is protected not just to the point of death but also uh, while they're living as well and uh, and so uh, one question I usually uh, I usually put out there uh, to to my guests, when I have them on the on the show, and this isn't uh, directly on point to uh, to uh, what we've been talking about here, but you you have the opportunity to work with a lot of seven, eight, nine figure business owners.
1: Yes, if you can
0: uh, kind of take a look at uh, kind of your your clientele base, uh, what are some mistakes uh, that you see that are getting made, and also what are some things that you that you see that um, these uh, business owners are doing that uh, really does allow for success uh, in their companies.
1: Great question, Josh. So I I would say, honestly, the number one thing that I'm seeing where people are making, it is so easy for small business owners to fail at their business. And I think that the number one mistake I see being made is them trying to do it on an island, so to speak, without getting enough people around them That have done what they want to do before them. In other words, if people just have an idea for a business and then they dump a bunch of capital in it and they think that they, you know, are reinventing the wheel and starting this, and there's no one else who's done anything like what they've done, usually that's a recipe for failure. Um, But what I see people winning is when they humble themselves and realize that hey i need to be learning from somebody who's already successful in what they're doing and they join masterminds they invest in in, in um, mentors and being around people that know what they're doing and have already made their business work that is when i see success because having somebody help you navigate pitfalls is absolutely invaluable in business so i would recommend investing in um, getting around folks that know what they're doing in whatever your chosen field is and being willing to uh, learn from them, learn from their mistakes and don't try to do uh, everything thinking that it's, you know, the first time you've ever thought of anything ever. Um, you know, this, does that make sense to you?
0: it does it does as we wrap up the uh, as we wrap up the podcast i want to give uh do i do want to give you the opportunity to kind of let us know uh, how people can get in touch with you is there anything else that uh, you think maybe would be helpful uh to our audience uh that maybe they should know
1: well the, the last thing we didn't touch on is asset protection so one of the kid- critical things with this life insurance policies that i set up for folks is that this varies on a state by state basis okay but by and large the assets inside the life insurance policies are creditor and predator protected, which means you can't assign them in a bankruptcy. They can't go after that money, which just is huge for small business owners and real estate investors. They absolutely love that. So there's a lot of states where that exemption is unlimited, and there's a few where it's not great. I'll be honest with you, the the one state I can think of off the top of my head it's not great in is California, um, but they have a lot of crazy roles there. But most states, it's unlimited. I know for Tennessee and probably. Where are you at, Josh? Uh, we're, we're in Indiana just outside of Chicago. I think think Indiana is um, unlimited. So there's some great asset protection uh, components depending on where you live. And I'll go over that with you as well. And the second thing is, is that I know that this is a lot to take in on one podcast, just getting introduced to this. So I have created a very um, streamlined video education library that people can log in and watch. And all you have to do is go to my website, uh, bulletproofwealth.info, bulletproofwealth.info, and you can sign up there. Just put your name and email address and it will give you access to learning a lot more about what I do. And then if you like that, if you like my video education and that gives you a good idea in 40 minutes or so, you can really have the bases covered, then you can book a call with me. I also have a lot more information there. If you really wanna take a deep dive, you can spend the whole weekend watching videos if you want to. But, anyways, that's the way I do it, and I'm very low pressure. And you know, if if it doesn't resonate with you, then that's totally cool. It's it's you don't have to you don't have to uh, reach out. But I just make that option available.
0: Okay, we'll put that link in the in the show notes as well. Uh, if you want to go in and uh, click on it, and that is the preferred way that you uh, would uh, prefer for people to get a hold of you. Yes, because yeah. Okay. yeah,
1: totally. Go to Bulletproof. Well, put your name and email in, sign up. Watch a few of my videos. If it looks good, click on book a time to talk and I will go over a custom plan for you.
0: I know that the video that, that was recorded when you gave this uh, talk at uh, the Power Room in Salt Lake City a couple months ago is on there, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is a, is a good, uh, good one to watch as uh, he really does uh, uh, walk us through. Uh, he walked us through in the room and he'll walk you through as well if you uh, have the opportunity to watch it as far as what exactly this is. And I know there's uh, a few other places that you presented that are on there as well. Tom, yeah. um, I cannot uh, express my appreciation enough for you taking a few moments to uh, to hop on and and talk us through uh, these concepts. And uh, for for the listening audience, uh, please uh, get a hold of Tom if there's something you feel that will uh, that will work for you in your business. And I think it will. And I think the the big takeaway of making sure that we're getting people around us and investing uh, in ourselves and uh, getting our uh, getting ourselves around people like Tom. Uh, in our in our business, in our personal life to really help us become the leaders in our business that we should be. This is Josh Belk with the Belk on Business Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening in. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Have a wonderful day.